Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and they do a great job. You can find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Uh, Boo Mortensen will be joining us from Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. We'll be talking about why we pay for what we pay on the Internet. And then uh, Michael Patelli is the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. did some interesting research on what a degree is worth in Florida and different parts of Florida as well. It is June the 30th, and on this day in 1936, Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind, one of the best-selling novels of all time and the basis for a blockbuster 1939 movie, was published. In 1926, Mitchell was forced to quit her job as a reporter at the Atlanta Journal to recover from a series of physical injuries. With too much time on her hands, Mitchell soon grew restless, working on a Remington typewriter, a gift from her second husband. Uh, in the cramped one-bedroom apartment, Mitchell began telling the story of an Atlanta belle named Pansy O'Hara. In tracing Pansy's tumultuous life from the antebellum south through the Civil War and into Reconstruction, Mitchell drew on the tales she heard from her parents and other relatives, as well as from Confederate war veterans she had met as a young girl. While she was extremely secretive about her work, Mitchell eventually gave the manuscript to Harold Latham, an editor from New York's Macmillan Publishing Company. Latham encouraged Mitchell to complete the novel with one important change. The heroine's name would be uh, Scarlet. Published in 1936, Gone with the Wind caused a sensation in Atlanta and went on to sell millions of copies in the United States and throughout the world. While the book drew some criticisms, Criticism for its romanticized view of the Old South and its whitewashing of horrors of slavery, its tale of war, passion, and loss captivated readers. By the time Mitchell won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction in 1937, a movie project was already in the works. The film was produced by Hollywood grant giant David Selznick, uh, who paid Mitchell a record $50,000 for the film rights to a book. Makes me smile when you hear that number. This will be a lot larger today. After testing hundreds of unknowns and big-name stars to play Scarlet, Selznick hired British actress Vivian Lee days after filming began. Clark Gable was also on board as Rhett Butler, uh, Scarlet's dashing love interest. Plagued by with problems on the set, Gone with the Wind nonetheless became one of the highest-grossing movies of all time, breaking box office records and winning nine Academy Awards out of 13 nominations. Though she didn't take part in the film adaptation of her book, Mitchell did attend its star-studded premiere in December of 1939 in Atlanta. She died just 10 years later after she was struck by a speeding car while crossing Atlanta's Peachtree Street. Scarlet, a relative unmemorable sequel to Gone with the Wind, written by Alexander Ripley was published in 1992. <clears throat> so interesting. Uh, my connection with all this is uh, my mother told me that uh, Margaret Mitchell used to uh, sit with her in the park and uh, actually walk me <laughs> as a child in a baby carriage. So anyhow, uh, 
Six degrees of separation. Well, 60 new cases of COVID-19 and a new deaths, no new deaths in Cuyahoga County on Monday. The death toll stands at 71, according to the state. A total of additional 280 tests yesterday, and 320 people in Collier County have been hospitalized. In other words, not a lot going on in this regard. A lot of people are getting really uh, concerned about uh, a, a new outbreak. Again, I just come back to just my studies and what I've dis- discerned is that we shouldn't be concerned about the number of new cases because a lot of testing is going on. We should be only concerned about hospitalizations and deaths, and we're not seeing a big rise in that. 320 folks have been hospitalized in Cuyahoga County. Many of them have been released, and the short uh, stays, as I understand it, are shorter and shorter. Speaking of uh, health, the heat index in Lee and Collier County has been in triple digits for about a week now, and it's going to continue for the next week, probably around a heat index of around 110. Although to this day, to my knowledge, we've never seen a temperature, an actual temperature of 100 degrees or higher in Collier County or the Paradise Coast. Stocks surged on Wall Street yesterday as the market clawed back from last week's losses. Uh, There was a strong housing report and positive news from uh, Uh, The Dow Jones was up 580. Boeing gave the broader market a boost, rising 14% after a successful test flight of 737 MAX jet, which is expected to be followed by future tests. On the economic front, the number of Americans signing contracts to buy homes rose by a record 44.3% in May from a month earlier. It's probably from some uh, pent-up demand. That was more than double the 17% rise that economists were expecting. It's also a whiplash reversal from the record plunge of nearly 22% that came in April as the pandemic froze the housing market. Nevertheless, 44.3%, that's a big increase. Shows a lot of optimism on the part of uh, the uh, consumers. <clears throat> President Trump late Sunday said U.S. intelligence could not confirm an explosive story that Russian military officials offered bounties to militants linked to the Taliban to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan. The New York Times citing unnamed or anonymous sources reported from <laughs> anonymous sources uh, reported Friday is believed that some Islamist militants or criminal elements collected payouts. The report pointed out that 20 Americans were killed there in 2019. It's not clear if any of those deaths were the result of a bounty. Uh, here's the treat, uh, tweet from Trump. Intel just reported to me that they did not find this info credible and therefore did not report it to me or VP. Possibly another fabricated Russia hoax, maybe by the fake news. I think he's absolutely right about that. We're getting into election season right now, and you can see these desperate attempts in order to tarnish uh, President Trump. Boy, unanimous sources, they've been very busy, haven't they? And the New York Times, they know where to find them. Well, the United States Supreme Court revealed decisions in three hot cases yesterday. On June the 29th, 2020, the High Court ruled a Louisiana law regulating abortions unconstitutional, a law restricting free speech rights of foreign groups funded in part by U.S. taxpayers, legal, and finally that the head of the Consumer Finance Protection Board, which is such a hoax, must answer to and be fireable by the President of the United States. Chief Justice Roberts joined the liberals for two of these three decisions. As the justices prepare for the summer break, expect more fresh rulings today. Uh, Roberts, 
he flip-flopped. He uh, actually had a rule, a case, a similar case in Texas, exa almost exactly the same wording. Uh, he voted against, in other words, he supported the notion that uh, doctors should have to have a hospital connection in order to perform an abortion. Well, this time he said, no, that's not that important. And why? Well, because the Supreme Court supported uh, the uh, bill la in the last uh, vote, and therefore he said stare decisis should rule in this case. Well, you know, if, if this is a problem because if we have bad Supreme Court decisions, the Supreme Court should be able to reverse them irrespective of decisions that have been made in the past, and that's what stare decisis is all about. Well, I don't know if you saw this, but this is scary stuff. Soros-funded St. Louis circuit attorney threatens legal action against property owners who defended themselves against a rampaging mob. You may have seen the owners of this beautiful home with the, he had a uh, semi-automatic rifle and she had a handgun. This is a great example of why law-abiding citizens need to be very involved in local elections. The husband and wife who defended themselves and protected their property from looters and protesters are now being threatened by a Soros-funded St. Louis circuit attorney. Ms. Kimberly Gardner is an activist within the legal profession who has experienced, expressed purpose to destroy property rights, advance the cause of socialist society, and collapse the legal system that allows citizens to protect themselves from the rampaging mob. It's just unbelievable. St. Louis dispatched the McCloskeys, these, these are the people who brandished their weapons, have been at home and heard a loud commotion coming out from the street. They went to investigate and saw a large group of subjects forcefully breaking an iron gate marked with no trespassing and private property signs. The group began yelling obscenities and threats of harm to both victims, police said. When the victims observed multiple subjects who were armed, they themselves armed themselves and contracted, contacted the police. Meanwhile, the couple, as they stood on their own property with the rights to point gut weapon at the protesters, gun rights advocates said yes. The police spokesman said, ask, you're going to have to ask the courts. Anders Walker, a constitutional law professor at St. Louis University, said that although it's very dangerous to engage protesters with guns, the homeowners broke no laws by brandishing or pointing weapons at them because the Portland, uh, Portland police is a place, this uh, street they lived on is a private street. He said the McCloskeys are protected by Missouri's Castle Doctrine, <clears throat> which allows people to use deadly force to defend private property. Uh, now, and this uh, woman uh, who is uh, who said, "Well, this is a peaceful process," is basically what she's saying. This this attorney, elected attorney, uh, she said, uh, Kimberly Gard appeared to take a different view, releasing a statement money saying that she was alarmed at the events that occurred over the weekend, where peaceful protesters were met by guns and violent assault, Gardner said her office is investigating. Can you believe this? People protecting their private property, people breaking through a private gate on a private street, they come out with guns, they're hearing all kinds of uh, threats against themselves, against their dog, against their property. They basically didn't shoot, they just and, and threatened them to say you have to back off. They left. What a, a scary situation, but can you imagine? Uh, being assaulted by the uh, elected officials saying that they're going to look into it and perhaps file charges. It's incredible stuff. Well, this uh, segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is Naples Illustrated. 
Com. Coming up, we're going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And again, visit the website and get tickets now at a nice discount at Golf Shore Playhouse. Dot org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Patelli. He's the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. We're going to be finding out about the rewards of where you live, depending on your college degree and what you, what you can garner from that. Right now, we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. So much to talk about today, and let's start off with the governor signing the uh, budget for uh, the, the new fiscal year, just in time, by the way. I think the fiscal year starts, I think, tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, July 1st, yes, it does. So it's going to be tricky for the, um, all the agencies to 
have to, you know, they have to kind of adjust their budget. So I think a lot of people wouldn't be working overnight. So uh, any surprises? It looks like he signed, uh, he, he pretty much left the bu- budget intact, is from what I read. Well, he, he uh, vetoed a billion dollars of oh. appropriations. Uh, so uh, they run the gamut uh, from member projects to going into the base budget and uh, vetoing uh, certain allocations that have been in the budget for a while. Um, it, it, it looks like he spent a lot of time, um, and, and he also, I think, took into consideration Tax Watch's uh, turkey list. And he vetoed uh, a lot of those. So, you know, a billion dollars. The good thing is um, he made sure that we have plenty of money in reserves. I think we're um, between the, the, the money he funds he vetoed, the budget stabilization fund, and some of the funds left over from last year, we have about $7 billion in reserves, which obviously we will need, as depending on the economic uh, outcomes of COVID-19. Yeah, you know, I uh, have to say, I really applaud the decisions. Like, I don't necessarily agree with everything he's doing, but I, I think he's really on balance, making some great decisions about uh, just all the things that he's confronted. This has not been an easy term uh, for the governor or for legislators like yourself. It, it, uh, this, this summer has been just very stressful for everyone because, um, you know, we are very concerned about our, our constituents that are out of work and the stress on them. Uh, you know, the budget's been hanging over our head all summer, and um, now the increase in COVID cases. And, it, you know, it's like you feel like you're getting hit from every direction, and uh, there's no answer. Um, I spent uh, uh, an hour on the phone yesterday with the head of the Florida Hospital Association, who has been in the uh, the state EOC since March hasn't even gone home other than to change clothes and talking about where we are right now with the number of cases increasing a little bit of concern more so for hospitalizations increasing you know we have capacity but um, there are more and more people going to hospital one good sign that she said that I was good to hear is that the um, the, the uh, what they've learned in the hospital from the patients that are there, they're becoming much better equipped to actually treat people who come in with COVID. You know, in the in the past, when people would come in, they'd put them on a ventilator, which now they found that's not the right course of treatment. They've got all kinds of other treatments that they're doing that, um, yeah. you know, that would help. So there's a lot going on, but with the number of cases, it's certainly going to affect the system. I'm happy you had a conversation. Uh, did she mention how the length of stay? My understanding is that hospitalizations are now not as long as they st- when they first started in March. I think, I, we did not discuss that, but I think that makes sense uh, because they're not having to put people on ventilators and they have courses of treatment like uh, some drugs like remdesivir and, and other uh, treatments. They've also learned how to manage patients. It, it, interestingly, as simple as now they put them on their stomach. And there, there's some other things that she was telling me that I thought were very, uh, it, it's just you're learning. They're learning um, every day. There's different things that they're doing. Uh, but it still doesn't, um, it, it still doesn't answer the problem we have with all the new cases, a lot of them being um, 
younger people who who have don't show symptoms, but they're out and about in the community. And the question is, who is getting it from them? I mean, if it's just young people who have no symptoms uh, circulating around to themselves, that's one thing. But as as I've been saying, you know, I have a ninety seven year old father and ninety five year old mother and I and this poor they're cooped up because I can't let them out because yeah. of fear of running into somebody without um, symptoms. And they don't understand that. And I feel even more sorry for people in nursing homes who have no family. Well exactly. So, I mean uh, you, you, the yeah. the the disconnect. I mean, the, the people are going to die from loneliness, quite frankly, rather than the disease. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, we are we are meant to be able to associate with each other. So, I my, I can tell you my view, and I would appreciate any feedback. I'm not a scientist, sure. but I certainly have developed uh, some skepticism for public health officials and what they've decided and things that they say uh, for a number of reasons. But uh, what I've decided is that about 70 percent of the population is going to get this disease. And we need to be careful because it is very, very contagious. On the other side, uh, about uh, 1 in 400 who get the disease are going to die from the disease. And about 40 to 50% of those will be those that have comp- uh, impaired uh, immune systems or who are elderly and, and have health problems. Uh, the balance will probably be asymptomatic or have mild symptoms. Uh, what we can do is we can have lockdowns and extend the amount of time that this takes, or we could just go about our business and continue and ha- and be careful and, and make sure that people who have compromised immune systems are in safe places and they're, we're trying to take care of them. I think we, should, quite frankly, for example, the decision about professional basketball, uh, just because a few players get the disease, take care of them, put them in quarantine and whatever, the season goes on. Let's just go ahead and, and uh, continue our business. Well, I, you know, I agree with you in part, uh, but the other part of me is saying uh, we should go about our business. We should not go into lockdown. But what we should do, and I, and I wouldn't, and I agree with the governor not mandating masks and and the like. But I think if people <clears throat> would actually do it, um, wear masks, uh, practice social distancing, not for themselves mm-hmm. because most people are healthy. <clears throat> But for the people they come in contact with, then those people that um, have a pre-existing condition, and some of whom don't even know they do, apparently this is what my uh, uh, lady I was talking to yesterday said, uh, they don't even know they have pre-existing condition. So here's the thing. If you are being proactive in concern about the people you come in contact with, then it's less likely that they will get it. And, and honestly, at first I was like, okay, anybody over 65 should be in lockdown, you know, because you could get it and get seriously ill. And then I realized, how horrible is that? Because mm-hmm. then that could go on for months. Yeah, I, I would say this, though. If, if, my, if the premise, yeah. if my uh, uh, theory is correct, what difference does it make if we get it? <laughs> well, frankly, because everybody, well, 70% of us are going to get it anyhow. Yeah, but what about the thirty uh, percent that get it um, because they happen to come in contact with somebody who had no symptoms and it was not their choice? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's a courtesy thing. I, I almost think it's like etiquette. Yeah, and I and I, uh, you know, I'm I don't I hate those masks. Yeah, I don't like wearing them, but I'm wearing them. I go to the gym twice a week and I wear my mask. 
and you try working out with a mask on, it's like... I know, it's but, just not right. <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, uh, I, but, I'm not wearing a mask, and, I, and I'm getting mask shamed all the time, so uh, this you? virtue That's signaling... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do I wouldn't do mass shaming, but I mean I've made a decision for myself yeah. to, to do that um, for my parents and and others around me, and and I think everyone should make their own decision. I just wish that they would be a little bit more considerate, yeah. and not and I and I, they shouldn't have to be told. I, I don't agree that government should be telling you to wear a mask or whatever, right? Because I mean, it doesn't work and it's not enforceable. Well, Kathleen, um, but, I have some other things I want to talk to you about, but our time is up, darn it. <laughs> yeah, next week we have all kinds of things. <laughs> I just genuinely appreciate your time here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. Again, Kathleen Pasadena, our state senator, and does a great job. Okay, coming up, we're going to find out what's new with Boo. Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. It's time to find out what's new with Boo. Boo, how you doing? Never a dull moment up here. Yeah. Never a dull moment. So you're right there in Madison, Wisconsin. I just there was a lot of violence and statues turned over, all kinds of things. But right up there in the university area, right in your area, I think. Yeah, it's yes, yes, right at our doorstep. To tell you the truth, and one statue was promoting women's ability to vote and women's emancipation it's been there forever hmm. and then the other one was a norwegian statue or a guy that was norwegian fought in the civil war was a was a uh, abolitionist and fought against slavery gave his life to to stop slavery and they dismembered that one as well unbelievable and uh... yeah it's crazy and then the next day you know, we have all these huge uh, bronze urns. Uh, there's 16 of them around the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And it makes it beautiful with all the flowers. Rather than take a stand and say, don't destroy these, they packed them up and shipped them out. And it seems to me that that's, that gave a message to the thugs that, um, uh, you know, you got the upper hand. Yeah, it does. And how does how does law? What's the word on law enforcement? Are they being supported by local officials? Uh, what's what's no, going on there? No, here? no, we have a crazy mayor. She talks out of both sides of her mouth. She, you know, their big thing up here is you know defunding the police. So hmm. even during all of this that was going on in the last, I have to say, the last two weeks, the police may be there, but you don't see them. Hmm. They are a no show. And I would have thought after all the destruction and the, the, the terrible destruction to businesses downtown, the cops would be out and say, hey, not on my watch. You're not doing this. And no, no, they're gone. Well, that and quite frankly, I, that comes from above. Uh, they are given instructions of by course. these elected officials. Quite frankly, I think it's heartbreaking for these law officials who are trained to handle situations like this. I'm sure they don't want to risk their lives, but nevertheless, they're there. They're willing to do it. But unfortunately, our elected officials have no shame. I mean, it's unbelievable. Allowing this type of stuff to happen is unconscionable. Well, it, it's catastrophic because there's so many restaurants in downtown Madison. And, you know, State Street is the equivalent of Naples Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. with the boutiques and the restaurants and the bars and all of that. People are afraid to come down. Our friends uh you know, you say, come on down, they're like, nope. So, you know, they're afraid to. They see on the news what's going on. Right. They don't want to come down. So that additionally impacts the struggling businesses to begin with. It's it's the, the coup de grace for right. a lot of these. You know, people aren't coming down. It's you a shame. Doubt our mayor would be smart enough to say, cops are here downtown estate. Well, I tell you what, what's what's clear and apparent to me is that it's more important for to defeat Trump in this election than it is to keep people safe and to protect property. Oh, I totally agree. I, I think that a lot of this is orchestrated. Yeah. I think it is intentional. Right. I think that a lot of the news coverage, the overblown news coverage of this coronavirus, 
I think a lot of this is geared to take Trump out. That's exactly right. I mean, to me, the, the whole the whole notion about the coronavirus is to watch hospitalizations and deaths. I mean, if you start to see an increase in that, not having hospital beds available, and it would be a crisis in healthcare. So we need, you know, we need to take steps to to protect that. But the number of cases, quite frankly, you know, I, I hate to repeat myself, but I think this this thing is inevitable. But about seventy percent of the population is going to end up getting coronavirus. So, you know, let's just uh, and about. You know, 025 percent of the people that get it are going to die from it. So, you know, let's yeah. let's just move on with life. Yes, I you know I agree. And now the rules are so inconsistent. To tell you the truth, I don't know what you can do in Madison and what you can't. And you get outside of Dane County, which is the downtown area, and there are no rules. Mm-hmm. There are no rules. No masks. No uh, six feet apart. Zippo. Yeah. We are, and it's crazy that you've got a rule here, but you don't have it here. You know what? I'm just doing what I want to do. I mean, I'll go out and wear a mask because I don't want to be confronted. But, yeah. you know, it's it's Looney Tunes. Do you think that Trump, so I, I'm sure that this is all fake news, but I have to say his numbers are going down. You know, it's, a, it's trending downward. Do you think he's just going to go, you know what, I've had this. You want the job, you got it. Well, you know, well, uh, you know, I just think if he wa- if he was going to ever make that decision, he would have made it a long time ago. I think he's all in, and uh, I think this is just more fake news. I think also the polls are fake news, quite frankly. The sampling, if you take a look at the, t- if what I understand is that about seventy percent of the people who are polled are Democrats. <laughs> it's just mm. fake news, and uh, the president's all in. He's he's in this. Why is he doing this? Because he's trying to save the country. And it's not necessarily the economy; it's culturally. It's trying. He's trying to preserve what he thinks made America great, which is the American spirit. And uh, on that basis, I just think he's all in. Well, I, I hope you're right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it would. It, I mean, if he said pull the plug, you know, it would certainly be understandable. And did you get the video? Did you see the video? You know that one which he retweeted about white supremacy, the guy said white power, whatever, and that was a video from the villages in Florida. Oh, no, I didn't see the entire video. It's a bunch of old people screaming obscenities at each other. Amazing. <laughs> well, let me just take. It's not particularly attractive either. No, I haven't seen that, and uh, this conversation oh is, hasn't encouraged me to see it. <laughs> I don't know, but any event, you know, just I want to underscore something important that you said, which is basically all the news. I don't know if you heard about this, but the uh, uh, this uh, thing that he was going to put on up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, apparently they did everything in their power to keep people from coming in. The people who were doing the test left an hour before this, this rally started in Tulsa. In other words, you know, you just took everywhere you look, somebody is trying to get in the way of his success. I know. And I know. I, I agree. I agree. And I don't know how you stop it. No. I mean, I don't. I, I think it's going to be ramped up. I think all of this is going to be escalated. I, I, and I'll tell you, the <laughs> thing that really frosts my chops is you see that Nancy Pelosi and that Chuck Schomer where they took, where they were down on their knee for that eight minutes. What, what a stupid gesture. <laughs> have you ever seen them do anything like that for any of our veterans? No. Or any of our cops that have lost their lives? No. This guy was a thug. I mean, I'm sorry he died, but... 
you know, he was a troublemaker, and for them to pay that kind of homage, what does that tell you about them? Exactly. Again, what's it all about? Defeating Trump. That's uh, the... Anything that's happening right now, it's all about defeating Trump, unfortunately. So this is background noise going into the election. We just have to endure it, unfortunately. But remember that, in fact, it's fake news. Again, Boo Mortensen, it's always a pleasure. This We had a serious conversation today. It was <laughs> quite... Well, I'll tell you, there's got to be a silver lining in all of this, and we've got to start looking for it. Exactly, Boo. Thank you so yep. much for joining us. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout-out to Lulabee's Diner. Lulabee's Diner is located in Green Tree Shopping Center, and uh, they got this place kind of torn up trying to update the uh, the uh, mall there. But uh, nevertheless, great breakfast lunch. I was there yesterday, and uh, just encourage you to visit Lulabee's Diner, who, by the way, supports St. Matthew's House in a big way. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Patelli. He's the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Right now we have with us a frequent guest on the show, an entertaining and informative guest, uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and I'm watching CNBC this morning, and everyone's talking about, oh, we need more, we need another couple trillion dollars from the federal government. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
it's certainly gotten out of control. So you write a very interesting column about a, a, a topic we've talked a lot about, which is uh, net neutrality. Uh, it's called Want Cheaper Internet? Big Tech Should Pay Their Fair Share. Great backstory on this. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, you know, big tech companies uh, are bandwidth hogs, obviously. Google, tons of bandwidth. Uh, Facebook, tons of bandwidth. Amazon, tons of bandwidth. Apple, Microsoft, all using the 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 bandwidth paid for, built by uh, internet service providers. And you see these articles. The articles are all the news. The media is all against the internet service providers and for the big tech companies. And this is why I always put, or not always, but often put. I did in this article put the market caps of the companies. Mm-hmm. You know. The, you know uh, Internet sir, uh, ISP giant Comcast. Comcast is worth 150 billion dollars. Um, Microsoft's worth 1.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. You know, please, who's the giant in this equation? Right. What are we talking about here? Um, you know, Apple's 1.4 trillion dollars. Um, uh, Amazon's over a trillion dollars. Uh, you know, it's, it's you know, Google's 900 billion. Uh, it's it's absurd. Any of these companies could buy Comcast in their petty cash drawer. Right. So, um, the big tech companies like this have, for years and years and years, funded the concept of network neutrality and beaten everybody about the head and shoulders with it to the point where. Even though there was only regulation, actual regulation of, uh, regarding net neutrality for about a year, everyone was afraid to do anything that looked like a net neutrality violation because the leftist mobs would do to Comcast what they're doing to Minneapolis mm-hmm. and Seattle. So, and one of the one of the many benefits to big tech of net neutrality is they can't get charged for the bandwidth they use. You can't. You know, ISPs have two groups of people to charge. Us, the end users that are in our houses, and the big tech companies. Well, if they've been cowed into not charging the big tech companies, your grandmother who only emails her grandkids is paying substantially more for an Internet connection to subsidize Google and Facebook and Amazon. Yeah, and you can imagine the amount of uh, bandwidth that, for example, Netflix is using. It's just incredible, and yet they pay... Netflix and Google owns YouTube. Netflix and YouTube, just by themselves, are, represent more than half of all U.S. bandwidth usage. Unbelievable. And they pay... And, you know, you wonder why, like, Netflix this year spent, is spending $17 billion on creating new content while charging you 8 or 10 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. How, that math doesn't add up unless, hey, they don't have to pay for bandwidth. Right, right. That's... That's a deal. No wonder they could. That's why they could hand Obama's the Obamas fifty million dollars for doing absolutely nothing, except I might point out spending their eight years in office pushing net neutrality. Um, that was a that was an attaboy. That was cronyism in reverse. That was a thank you very much for being our boy while in office. Um, so they got uh, a challenger though to this this concept. Co- Charter Communications. Is uh, they have to? They can't just do it, unfortunately, because there's another stupid thing that happens. They merged with a couple other companies a few years ago, and what the Obama administration used to do is they'd put quote unquote conditions on the approval of the merger, mm-hmm. and one of the conditions was <laughs> Charter has to adhere to net neutrality for like seven years after the, <laughs> the merger. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get it done. You know, they, this is 
is not equal protection before the law. Let's just put it that way. Right. So they're applying for a waiver from the Trump administration, as you see, to say, would you please let us out of this merger condition so we can start charging Amazon Prime and, and, and Disney Plus and, and HBO Go and, and all these, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all these streaming services because they're using more bandwidth. Now, that extra money can do a lot of good things. It's more investment in the, in the infrastructure to get better and faster and stronger. It also will allow them to reduce price for us. Yes. Because the, the, we're the only revenue source right now for ISPs. And that's, that's ridiculous when the, when the big tech companies are involved. So the only thing that could happen is if the big companies refuse to, to provide uh, content to charter because they don't want to be paid the, uh, the, the uh, various... That can happen. That, that can certainly happen. But charter is, a big, is one of the bigger yeah. uh, ISPs. So it would be very difficult for Netflix to say, we're not going to give you our content because th- there's just too much money to be, you know, there's too, too many customers there. Right. So it's just such an interesting story because, you know, it's kind of like the free Coke theory. You know, when you always, when you go into the store, you you get a free refill of your Coca-Cola or whatever. And when they stop doing it, when you have to start paying for the second Coke, you get outraged. So there's this expectation that these big companies have that they're going to get the service for free or for minimal cost, net neutrality, as you've described it. And now they're going to have to pay their fair share if Charter right. wins on this thing, which is which really is good for the consumer. Well, it's also, it's also, it's economics 101. I mean, this is like saying at a, to a, you know, your charter's a gas station, and they can't charge box trucks and 18-wheelers for gas. Right. Well, you and me in our, in our, in our passenger vehicles are going to pay a lot more in gas and in taxes to build the road. Right. And, and they're, they're the ones using the most fuel. This is ridiculous. It's, it's, um, and and what's, obnox- what's additionally obnoxious about it is you're subsidizing Netflix even if you don't subscribe to Netflix. Right. I'm, you know, I'm not a Netflix subscriber, but I'm paying more for Internet so Netflix can get free Internet and get, get free bandwidth and, and take up 33% of the na- na- nation's uh, network. That, yeah. so that this certainly is, sounds this, fair to me. This is capital cronyism, if you want to call if you can put those two words together. But it's certainly a cronyism at its worst. And uh, frankly, we can expect a big stink from big tech if, this happen- if their charter is successful. Well, I'm, it's interesting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I thought there'd already be outrage at the, at the, at the notion. And uh, there hasn't been. I, I went looking for articles, you know, oh, my gosh, net neutrality. And it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Charter announced this early last week. So I'm, I'm interested to see. Maybe they realize. I think what happens is this is an indefensible position, really. And that's why they cloaked it in net neutrality. Yeah. was to hide the fact that they were getting free bandwidth. And now that there's no net neutrality and they're just going to be straight-up charged for the bandwidth they use, I think it's a very hard position to defend, so they may not. Yeah, it's so interesting. Seton Motley, again, the founder and president last governor. I really appreciate you bringing these issues to our attention. I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to your website, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your well-informed commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir.
My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Patelli. He's the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Some interesting research on what a degree is worth in various parts of Florida and which, which degree is best for uh, graduates. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Michael Patelli. He is the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here with you. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about what's the uh, Thomas B. Fordham Institute all about. What do you do? Yeah, Bob, we are a national education policy think tank. Uh, we focus on all issues in education reform, from expanding school choice to holding uh, public schools accountable. Uh, we also do work on the ground in the great state of Ohio, uh, where our namesake is from. And there we are a charter school authorizer, and we also advocate for uh, education reform policies. I couldn't, uh, I tell you, I'm so supportive of your mission. I actually serve on the board of the Optima Education Foundation, which uh, has, the mission is to create charter schools, uh, help fund and, and create charter schools in Florida. So I really right. appreciate what you're working to do. Now, you, uh, this is so interesting, and I think it's going to be so interesting to our listeners. Uh, uh, op-ed, what a degree is worth, uh, maybe a white paper is a better way to say this, what a degree is worth in different parts of Florida? That's the question you ask and answer. Maybe you can tell us about it. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, so this study was by John Winters of Iowa State. We actually did this study for the whole country, but we do have specific data on each state and big metro areas. Uh, the question we were wondering ab about was whether the college degree premium uh, was the same all over the country. So we've known for a long time that if you go and you get a college degree, uh, in general, you're going to make more money as an adult than if you don't get that college degree. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, in recent years, some researchers have been able to get under that average and learn that, for example, not surprisingly, it depends on which college you go to. It depends on your major. Mm -hmm. Well, we were wondering if it also depended on where you live. Uh, and it turns out that the answer is yes, uh, that perhaps not surprisingly, in the bigger metro areas around the country, uh, you tend to get a much bigger bang for your buck from that college degree than if you are in a smaller metro area or certainly in rural America. So in other words, you, you still make more money with a college degree pretty much everywhere, uh, but the difference that you make uh, is not as large in some places than in others. And when you dive into the data in Florida, you see that too, that you, you uh, see a bigger difference between college degrees uh, and high school diplomas in some parts of Florida than others. Yeah, not only that, but also associate degrees versus college degrees and what type of degree. Uh, maybe you could tell us and illustrate and show us some of the uh, differences in different parts in the different part of Florida. Yeah, so uh, yeah, let, let's dig into that a little bit. So the biggest one, uh, the biggest differences that you see are, for example, over in the uh, in the uh, Space Coast area of Florida, uh, where there's a huge difference between those folks with college degrees and those without. Now, that may reflect that the economy there uh, is that if you've got a college degree and you're working in the space industry, uh, then not surprisingly, you're making a really high salary. Uh, whereas if, if, you're not, uh, if you don't have that college degree, you might be more likely to work in the service sector. Uh, so you've got, you know, in the, in the realm of a 70% difference between the bachelor's and the, and the high school diploma there. Uh, you know, whereas you've got some other places where it's much, much smaller. So, for example, in, uh, in the Lakeland area, uh, folks with bachelor's degrees just aren't making that much more. It's more like 20% more than those with just a high school diploma. And again, mm -hmm. that may reflect the economy there, that there's just not that many high-wage jobs for college-educated workers, given the economy right there that uh, that might be focused more, for example, on the tourism industry, on uh, serving senior citizens and the like. So, you know, the point here is that when we're talking to young people about their plans for the future, of course, everybody's plans have been uh, really uh, kind of put on hold right now during this awful pandemic. But, right. but when you think about, do you want to go to college? What do you want to major in? Uh, or do you want to try to go right into the workforce instead? You know, you got to think about what do you want to do when you grow up, right? Uh, what do you enjoy spending your time doing? What kind of lifestyle do you want to have? And where do you want to live? Yeah. Uh, because uh, depending on where you want to live, you might decide on different decisions when it comes to higher education. That is such an interesting point. So, I mean, the kids, of course, uh, when they go off to college, I want to be an engineer. I would like to, whatever it might be. Usually those plans change by the time you get through your first classes. But irrespective, to give some thought to not only what type of degree, you know, to get a, 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 a a bachelor's degree in, in English literature is probably not going to serve you as well as getting something that might be useful, like a civil engineering degree, or a, you know, even learning something to a trade, if you will. But so you, you illustrate those differences in your study as well. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and here's why that's so important, especially for those of us working on K-12 education, is that we have a system where right now we are still uh, pushing almost all kids into this uh, traditional academic path as if they're all getting ready to be an English major. Mm-hmm at a four-year college. You know, we used to have Votech in this system where uh, kids in high school would be doing more vocational work. A lot of those Votech schools were terrible, and so there was an effort to get rid of them uh, 20 or 30 years ago. What we should have done instead was to fix them and improve them. Now, you know, some listeners may say, well, there, you know, I, there's still some career tech programs out there, and there are, mm-hmm. but there's not that many of them. If, yeah. if you look at how many students today in high school are really spending much time doing technical training, getting ready to prepare for a trade, getting uh, on the path towards a technical one-year, two-year program in higher education, it's tiny. It's something like 2 or 3% of our students are doing that. The other 98 to 97% of students are taking the traditional academic track, and it's not working for them. Because a lot of these kids that, you know, they graduate, they're not ready for college, or they go to college, they drop out. Uh, so we need uh, to balance that much more so than we have today. Yeah, but how about intern programs? Are they are, are they paying off for young people? You know, I mean, there's not much out there for high school students. Yeah. You know, certainly as kids get older, internships are big. Again, right now, a lot of those on hold this summer. Right. Uh, but, you know, in, in much of the world, you see 16, 17, 18-year-olds participating in apprenticeship programs where they're spending a significant amount of time uh, in uh, a place of employment, you know, where they might even be getting paid uh, and they're learning on the job. Yeah. Instead, you know, all of our 16 and 17 and 18 year olds are still sort of trapped in a traditional academic classroom. You know, it makes sense for kids who want to go to that traditional four-year college, but it does not make sense for everybody, and, and yet that's what we've got. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing, that, my observation is when I was a kid, by the time I was eight years old or nine years old, I was mowing lawns, I was delivering papers, I was doing all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Most kids, when they get out of high school, they haven't had a job yet. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it's it's true. In fact, you know, it's there's been a big shift in that. Uh, it, it's hard to find uh, employment as right. a young person today. Uh, especially it's interesting in lower income areas that it's actually the more affluent kids who are more likely now to work those summer jobs, you know, maybe because in their neighborhood, there's still, there's the neighborhood pool they can work at, or they're working at summer camps or the like. Whereas in, in lower income neighborhoods, a lot of times those, those teenagers are competing with adults uh, for those low yeah. wage uh, jobs, and there's there's just not enough to go around. Yeah, this the work that you're doing is so important. I just encourage our listeners uh, to uh, you know uh, really understand the, what what this means. And m- many people just say, "I want my kid to go to college, my grandson to go to college, whatever it might be." These decisions are just critical and will have a big impact on the future. And to have these discussions with young people, I think is just so important. Uh, do you have a website? We sure do. It's uh, FordhamInstitute.org, and I hope folks will check it out for this study and many others. FordhamInstitute.org, did you say? Yep, .org. .org. Yep. Mm-hmm. Such interesting uh, discussion. Again, Michael Patelli, the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. In fact, uh, you know, if uh, you do enjoy it, uh, tell your friends about it and uh, encourage them to listen. Do spend some time preparing for this. And I, most importantly, I just really enjoy doing the show. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Always appreciate your comments. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. 
Uh, tomorrow we got great guests, including Andrew Joppa, professor, uh, and also writes commentary, prolific commentary, uh, and he, always enjoy his uh, segments on our show. Bob Levy is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're continuing our conversation about immigration reform, law, and policy. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, uh, brilliant man. He's also uh, writes several books. His his latest is Cyber Warfare. Targeting America, our infrastructure, and our future. He'll be on the show as well. We'll look forward to our discussion with him. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>